Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. As a kid, like many people who grew up in the 80s, I went through a protracted sword and sorcery phase. It started naturally with Dungeons and Dragons and was reinforced with Conan the Barbarian and a lot of rip-off movies and comic books that came out at the time. We're talking things like Hawk the Slayer, Krull, even things like Gru the Wanderer all reinforced my love of sword and sorcery stuff. Whenever anything new would come out on VHS, we would go over to my friend's house and watch it, and whenever there was a comic book, it was busily passed around to everyone in our neighborhood until we had absorbed every bit of mythology about it. Needless to say, when Thundar the Barbarian premiered on Saturday mornings, we were hooked. Right off the bat, we could tell that it was a mashup of all our favorite things at the time, and for the seasons that it was on, we were glued to the television set Saturday mornings to watch it. Our love for it became so strong that we started playing Thundar the Barbarian in our yards. Each of us would take a role, and we would add other extra characters that other people played. This got all of us building swords for ourselves. And when I say build swords, they were made of wood. We would find a tree with a branch, cut it down, carve away, try to make it as sword-looking as possible. For the first few months of playing, we would fantasize about creatures. And then it started to go into one-on-one -on -one fights with one another, sword fights with these wooden swords. My first two swords broke like that. So I became obsessed with finding a really good one. One day I was walking past a lot that had this old tree on it that had fallen over in a storm. I don't know what kind of tree it was, but there were all these branches sticking out. So I went over and started snapping them off and brought them home. I made swords out of two of them. They broke. Then I had this one that was a little bit curved, kind of back on itself, and it was maybe about three feet long. I didn't do much to it. I took off some of the bark, I wrapped some medical tape to be a handle, and I brought it out to play with it. It broke everyone else's sword. I would swing that thing, and whenever anybody would try to block it, mind you, we were as careful as we could be. There were occasional injuries, but we would just kind of swing at each other's swords. I don't want you to think that we were really trying to hit each other. There was a kid who even had a part of a crutch, like a wooden crutch, and he was swinging that around, breaking everybody's swords. And I thought, well, can't live forever. I ran at him with it, and I shattered a crutch with this piece of wood. This thing became my best friend. I carried it around whenever we played. I kept it in my room most of the time until I got in trouble because, you know, it was kind of dirty. So I was told I should keep it in the shed or this little area next to the house where it would be dry and warm. And I would. I would wrap it up in a plastic bag and tuck it away every night. Then one Sunday morning, I came out, and it was broken. And I'm not just saying it had cracked in the bag. Somebody had broken my sword. I was crushed. I had developed quite a relationship with this piece of wood. I would carved my name into it. I was practicing making little designs on it. Somebody had come in and smashed it. I had no idea who it could have been. I had my friends come over. They were all bummed. They all patted me on the back and said they were sorry. It stinks and that they would help me find a new sword. An older man who lived across the street, a neighbor of mine, who I've mentioned on The Retroist, would pay me to wash his car on weekends. And it was a great time. We would hang out. And he would tell me stories about traveling and all sorts of great things. And he noticed I was kind of bummed when I went over there. 
he asked what was going on. I said, oh, it's so silly. I had the sword. He goes, yeah, I saw a kid come over there and step on it. I didn't know what was going on. I said, you saw somebody? He goes, yeah, somebody had leaned it up against the house and stepped on it. I said, well, who was it? Turns out it was one of my best friends. He had done it, I guess, because he was sick of me breaking somebody else's sword or he just didn't like me having something nice. I was crushed at that point. I never confronted him about it because at that point I didn't really want to be his friend anymore and our relationship, which had been going on for many years, was never the same. We hung out, we would play games, but whenever I looked at him, I saw something different and I think at that point my childhood friendships were changed forever. I no longer looked at these people through kids' eyes, but I saw them as people who maybe I wouldn't be able to count on for the rest of my life. On today's show, we're going to talk about a cartoon that inspired a lot of sword swinging, Thundar the Barbarian. We're going to talk about its creation, we'll talk about some fun facts about it, we'll talk about how well it did, we'll talk about the people who worked on it, We'll talk about the characters, and of course, we'll try to touch on bits about Thundar the Barbarian in popular culture today. We have a really fun episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Thundar the Barbarian was a Saturday morning animated television series. It was created by 
Joe Ruby and Steve Gerber and was produced by Ruby Spears Productions. They made a crazy amount of cartoons in the 70s and 80s. One of my favorites, Rubik the Amazing Cube, was their work. According to Joe Ruby, he was trying to come up with ideas for shows and he had received a bunch of action-adventure magazines to see what was hot in that world. And he noticed a story about a young man and future governor Arnold Schwarzenegger who was going to make a movie based on Conan the Barbarian. Now, at the time, Ruby Spears tried to react to market forces and would make shows based on what was going on in the world and what was popular. But at this time, he decided that he would develop a show in this sword and sorcery world a year before the movie would come out. This way, he hoped that when the movie came out and it did well, he would benefit. Kind of forward thinking, Steve Gerber, who had worked on Howard the Duck and Son of Satan for Marvel, came up with the story and all the characters. Alex Toth, who had been in animation designing people like Space Ghost and Birdman, was brought on to design the three main characters, Thundar, Ookla, and Princess Ariel. People who are casual fans of Thundar might cite Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby is a seminal artist, amazing comic book talent, Captain America, the Incredible Hulk, you name it, he's been everywhere. They will often bring up his name as the person who designed all the characters. He did work on Thundar the Barbarian. I think a lot of people who are fans of his might think, well, he must have designed everything because his story, Kamandi, The Last Boy on Earth, which is a couple of years before Thundar, is very similar to the storyline of Thundar. Steve Gerber and animator Mark Avenier were big fans of Kirby and realized that the style and imagination he brought to the Kamandi stories would work really well for the Thundar the Barbarian series. So he was brought on to do just about everything else in the Thundar series except for the three main characters. In fact, the evil wizard Gemini, who's the recurring villain in the show, has a strong resemblance to a very famous Kirby villain, Darkseed. Here's a fun fact about the naming of Ookla the Mock. The name Ookla comes from the University of California, Los Angeles, which most people know as UCLA. Gerber was writing the show and having dinner with a friend named Martin Pasco. Martin Pasco worked on Superman and the Marvel Star Trek comic series, much, much more. He would go on to become a story editor on the second season of the show, along with writers like Buzz Dixon and Mark Jones. I should also mention that I read that Pasco happens to live in the town that I grew up in. Fun fact. So Gerber and Pasco had dinner and they discussed the show. And during that discussion, Gerber commented that he had not yet decided on a name for the Wookiee-like character that the network had insisted be added to the series. We'll talk a little bit about the Star Wars influences in Thundar the Barbarian a little later. So as the two walk past the UCLA campus, Pasco said to him, why don't you name him Ookla, UCLA? Gerber thought, sounds good. And that's how the name Ookla came to be. The show came together pretty quickly and premiered on October 4th, 1980 on ABC. The show was set in the future, 3994 AD, in a post-apocalyptic wasteland divided into kingdoms, the majority of which are ruled by wizards. Now the cool thing about the show is that the ruins in the show, which are usually set in the United States, although occasionally in other areas, have features that are recognizable. So They'll travel to Atlanta, Cape Canaveral, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, New York City, Washington, D.C., and you'll actually see the remnants of what the world looked like thousands of years later. Although, I'm not so sure how well many of these things would have stood up to the forces of nature for a couple of thousand years. I've seen that show 
life after people, and things seem to go pretty quickly. But when you're a kid, pretty awesome to see the Washington Monument covered in vines and all that sort of stuff. So there's this huge apocalypse, and the moon breaks into two pieces, and it's kind of cool because the moon is drawn back together. So always in the sky above them is this half-broken moon, shattered. Now, this is all explained in the opening sequence of the show, which you might want to take a listen to. Thundar the Barbarian year 1994. From out of space comes a runaway planet hurtling between the Earth and the Moon, unleashing cosmic destruction. Man's civilization is cast in ruin. 2,000 years later, Earth is reborn. A strange new world rises from the old. A world of savagery, super science, and sorcery. But one man bursts his bonds to fight for justice. With his companions, Ufla the Mock and Princess Ariel, he pits his strength, his courage, and his fabulous sun sword against the forces of evil. He is Thundar the Barbarian. So in this world, Thundar and his two companions, Ufla the Mock, who is very Wookiee-like, and Princess Ariel, who is a sorceress, travel around on horseback, battling evil wizards who use magic and technologies to rule their little areas and do horrible things. The world at this point is not just filled with humans. You also have some creepy things like the Brotherhood of Night or werewolves that will turn you into a werewolf simply by touching you, some aliens coming from other worlds that have vampiric-like abilities, mutants, lizardmen, and to match the mocks, you have the intelligent rat-like groundlings. All of it made for really interesting mythology that captivated me as a kid. So, let's talk about the main characters in the show. You had as a star, Thundar the Barbarian. Ariel! Ukla! Ride! Thundar was voiced by the very talented New Jersey-born Robert Ridgely. Ridgely worked in dozens of shows and movies over the years, including four Mel Brooks films. If you're a modern moviegoer, you might remember him from his last role as the Colonel in Boogie Nights. The character he played, Thundar, is a hero, muscular warrior, meant to be sort of like Conan the Barbarian. I think that that's an apt comparison. One big difference between Thundar and Conan is that Thundar has the Sun Sword, which is very heavily Star Wars influenced. It is a hilt which projects a blade-like beam of energy when activated, and much like the lightsaber, the Sun Sword's energy blade can deflect energy weapons and magic and can cut through nearly anything. The thing about the Sun Sword is that it's magically linked to Thundar only, and so he could only use it. In the episode, The Master of the Stolen Sun Sword, we find out that when the Sun Sword needs to be recharged, the person who does it becomes eternally linked to that weapon. Pretty cool. Ukla the Mock. <laughs> who doesn't do a lot of speaking, was voiced by Henry Corden. Corden had worked in film and TV since the late 40s, done a ton of stuff. Now, you might not know it, because he doesn't do a lot of talking, but Corden was the voice of Fred Flintstone. Seems like a waste, but bringing talent to the table never hurts, even when it's just sound effects and grunts. 
the character he plays, Ukla, is a member of the Mox, which are a lion-like humanoid species with fangs and yellow eyes. We find out that Ukla was a slave, much like Thundar, who was in the court of the wizard Sabian, until Sabian's stepdaughter, Princess Ariel, helped them escape, thus bonding the three for life. Mox have great strength, and they usually fight by picking up whatever's near them and just smashing whatever's around them. But on a couple occasions, Ukla uses a longbow, which fires a paralyzing arrow. The Mok have their own country, and they have a king. And much like the stereotype of cats, they fear and hate water. They would rather do battle with a horde of enemies than face a bath. Thundar and Ariel both ride horses, but Ukla, being as large as he is, rides a different animal. A special species invented for the show called an Ekort. Lastly, but certainly not least, is Princess Ariel. And my sorcery will protect you and heal you while you are gone. Rest, brave one. When you awake, you shall be well. Princess Ariel was voiced by Nellie Bellflower. She had done a lot of work for Rankin Bass's animated fantasy features. She played Eowyn in Return of the King. She also worked in The Last Unicorn and Danielle in The Flight of the Dragon, plus lots of other stuff. We don't know a lot about Ariel's history before she met Thundar, except that she is the stepdaughter of the evil wizard Sabian, and she learned her knowledge of magic and Earth's history in his library. In the episode, The Battle of the Barbarians, Ariel recognizes that they're in Chinatown in San Francisco, and states that her own ancestors may have lived there. This might mean that Ariel's ancestors were of Chinese heritage, perhaps? Now, even though Ariel is a princess, we never find out what she's a princess of. Maybe that would have been resolved in future episodes, but who knows? Throughout the show, she shows a real deep affection towards Thundar, though, being the barbarian that he is, he never returns those feelings to her. Watching it as a young boy, I thought, oh, good, whatever, Thundar's got to play with Ukla. But as an adult, it makes me a little sad that he never returns those feelings. So unlike the other two members of her group, Ariel has magic at her side. But her magic often requires her to use her hands. So in a lot of the plots in the story to disable Ariel, all you have to do is bind her hands or disrupt her hand movements, which any D&D player will tell you makes a lot of sense. The show had a couple of recurring parts in it. You had the show's narrator, who was voiced by Dick Tufeld. Tufeld is probably best known for voicing the robot from the Lost in Space TV series. Joan Van Ark, who was a staple of 70s and 80s television, was the voice of Captain Corden, and the recurring villain, the evil wizard Gemini, was voiced by the aforementioned Henry Corden. So a good use outside of playing a mock for that talent. The series ran for two seasons and ended its run on ABC on September 18, 1982. At the time, Thundar commanded a very respectable audience, but according to Ruby Spears, ABC's internal politics at the time impacted the Saturday morning schedule, forcing them to fill their Saturday morning schedule with animated versions of their live-action shows. Bad move. The following year, the 21 episodes were rerun on a different network, NBC. And it was doing pretty well on NBC. So well that Ruby Spears had a development deal to add a couple of kids to the show and maybe reboot it. But sadly, this was rejected because at the time, violent shows were being fought against tooth and nail. So we never got more Thundar the Barbarian. It has been said that there was a Thundar the Barbarian movie treatment made. It was written by the writer Buzz Dixon, who had worked on the show. 
And in it, we see the origins of the story where Ariel helps Thundar and Ukla escape. And we see Thundar introduced to the Sun Sword. So it would have been a bit of a prequel to the show, explaining how everything happened. So the show was definitely influenced by Star Wars. We should just touch on that a little. And obviously, from what you hear from Gerber, the network knew that they wanted some Star Wars influences in the show. So you had Ukla as Chewie. Now, Ukla is a great character to me, but maybe that's because I'm also a big Chewie fan. You have the Sun Sword, which is a direct ripoff of the lightsaber. You also have lots of alien species. You have the Force in terms of magic. You have a princess, which I think is funny that we never find out what Princess Ariel is a princess of because it seems tacked on at that point. She could just be the sorceress Ariel, but maybe because of Star Wars, somebody said, can we make Ariel a princess? They also see the planetary destruction, which for a kid who had just seen Star Wars and Empire, I had never even thought that a planet could be destroyed. Yet, looking up at the moon in Thunder of the Barbarian, there's a constant reminder of this big worldwide destruction and the idea of a bigger universe coming to Earth. Thundar has been referenced in lots of shows, music, and video games. Cartoon Network has used Thundars in its bumpers, and Thundar has appeared in Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, which is unusual because all the rest of the characters in the show are Hanna-Barbera characters, and he looks a bit different on that show. He has brown hair and kind of a jerk. In the episode of Duck Dodgers called Good Duck Hunting, Duck Dodgers proudly displays a Thundar the Barbarian poster that has Thundar, Ukla, and Ariel on it in his ship. The rapper Sir Mix-a-Lot and the Bare Naked Ladies reference Thundar the Barbarian in two of their songs. There's a nerd rock band called Ukla the Mock. The RPG Wizardry has a brief appearance of the trio on the final level of the game. And in 2004, action figures of the three main characters were released by Toynami. So Thundar is not on TV anymore, but it is certainly not forgotten. Sadly for Thundar fans, though, the show in its entirety has not been released, and there are various online petitions and websites trying to get it released. We were thrown a bone by Warner Home Video when they released the Saturday morning cartoon compilation, the 1980s Volume 1, which contained a bunch of different cartoons, amongst them some Thundar. So if you want to see Thundar on DVD, sign the petition, contact Warner Home Video, do whatever you can. Thunder is one of those great cartoons that was not a one-hit wonder. It made it for two seasons, which was rare in a lot of those early 80s cartoons. There's lots of one-season shows. To me, it's in the top five shows that need to be rebooted, and I think the mythology of it, the Kirby-influenced animation style, all would make for a really interesting modern show. And I hope one day to at least see it on DVD, if not see a fully blown-out remake of Thunder the Barbarian. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. If you like the art that you see attached to every podcast, it is done by Christopher Tupa. You can find more of Christopher Tupa's work at ctupa.com. That's c-t-u-p-a dot com. The Retroist also has a Facebook group. And if you do a search on Retroist Podcast, you can find a group. It's growing pretty quickly so if you get in there you can discuss what episodes you'd like to see and if facebook's not your thing drop by the retroist forum and you could do the same thing i'd love to hear what you want to hear and i'll try to get back to you as soon as i can if it's something i can put on my list thanks for listening to the show and i hope you have a great weekend thunder this has been a retroist production
Goodbye.